everyone how's it going welcome to know your gear qa podcast 301 let's see uh first question the first question came from uh lewis who said hey phil what are your thoughts on the yamaha pacifica 612 in cortex who says hey phil um i don't think your explanation of the warm off fender licensing last week was correct fender was sued uh wait fender sued warm off in the 90s yeah uh, for trademark. Yep. Uh, it's actually not, that's part of it, but yeah. And the settlement granted the, the license, no annual fees to be paid. I, I never said there was annual fees. So what you're talking about, so you know, is what really happened was Fender sued Warmoth, Sadowski, I think it was Schechter, and somebody else uh, for the usage, for using and violating uh trademarks and those trademarks were for bodies and guitar necks obviously just for the trademarks the period just for using the guitars period um so ron beanstock argued that case i actually uh have not only the transcripts from that case but ron beanstock went through them with me once uh, i've talked to him many times on the phone he called me he reached out to me one day and talked to me and then we had dinner i think once or twice cool guy um he's probably one of the biggest probably biggest and well, well most well-known trademark attorneys in the music industry and uh you know he's worked from everybody for for everybody from demarzio to warmoth to uh warwick you name it and the way that licensing deal works is the way i said it it's the bodies are public domain that was because of ron beanstock winning that case so uh no one needs to pay fender or ask permission to make any stratocaster or telecaster style bodies you just make them um it's a public domain it's it's there's no no trademark to to be um kind of questions or or fought or you don't have to uh, get permissions or do deal with anything um the headstock which is what i said last week again is trademarked the fender headstock is a trademark the way it looks is trademarked and so therefore you would need some kind of agreement to make that instrument or to make that that headstock when warmoth like other companies make a fender style headstock they have some kind of financial agreement to pay them for a royalty to use it which is why it says lic fender it means it's a licensed fender product and someone is paying for the license to use it which is what happened. I never said my annual or monthly. I would imagine they'd pay it per piece, but I don't know their actual agreement. And I'm sure it probably changes. So, you know, throughout the years, in fact, I shouldn't say that because I'm trying to be trying to be non-specific because I don't want to give out too much out of the, you know, too much, but it is, it does change. Cause I know, cause I've actually talked to the Warmoth guys. I've talked to the Fender guys. I've talked to the attorney who, <laughs> who won all those court cases. So yeah, it's, uh, uh, so to answer your, um, uh, I don't think my, your comment was, or your question was, I don't think the explanation was correct. It was correct. It's hundred percent correct. Um, and I don't know about the annual fees thing. I don't never said that. I wouldn't know what their annual fees or what they, how they pay the royalty. The importance to understand about LIC Fender, licensed Fender products is that it is not necessarily, I've heard it explained once that if you buy a licensed Fender neck from, let's say, a company like Warmoth, but it could be other companies. I think other companies like Mighty might might still have arrangements to have licensed Fender headstocks. That is not a uh, an affirmation or confirmation that that neck is exactly like a Fender neck. It's just that the headstock shape is 
a trademark property owned by Fender FMIC, Fender, Fender Musical Instrument Corporation, and therefore someone has, if they're pr- putting that on there, supposedly they're supposed to have permission to make that shape that is trade- trademarked. So that is what's going on with that. So again, it's not so much necessarily a Fender saying this. The reason I think people get confused is sometimes I think people think that when they see a licensed Fender, like LIC licensed Fender on a neck, Fender maybe is saying, yes, we, we, we've we checked these necks and they're as good as ours. <laughs> That's not necessarily what's going on. What's really going on is that Fender's trademark has an arrangement where they can pay a, a royalty or something to to Fender for the permission to do that. And uh, like I said, um, let's see. Uh, and by the way, I'm pretty sure that's the same type of agreement that uh, Mojo Tone has just worked out with Fender. If you guys haven't seen this, um, Fender worked out a deal with Mojo Tone or Mojo Tone worked out a deal with Fender to license Fender, uh, license the Fender intellectual properties or whatever for the cabinets that they make for their amps. So that way it used to be you could just buy a, a Mojo Tone cabinet and take your Fender chassis and load it in there. So if you want to change like your Fender uh, Tweed or something, or your Fender uh, 65 Deluxe, put it in a different color chassis or make it turn it into a head, you could go to Mojotone and buy that that box and that stuff. And now uh, they have some kind of deal with Fender where it's a licensed product. Um, I don't know the... Um, I don't know the details of why they went that way. I don't know if that was Fender that approached them or if they went to Fender. In my opinion, obviously, it seems like it's a better, it's better for both parties. It's a little, a little, little worse for us because I'm sure, well, actually, I know the prices went up. I saw them. So we have to pay now, you know, to bread Fender's butter, so to speak, right? Or butter Fender's bread. (laughs) We have to pay to butter Fender's bread um, and make sure that it, uh, you know, to make sure that they, they get a little piece, but it's kind of nice. I think a lot of people feel more comfortable with things that are licensed or approved or, you know what I mean? You feel like, uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I I've always wanted to convert my, uh, Fender, uh, 60, my Fender Princeton, my 68 Princeton combo into a head. I use it like a head a lot of times. And, um, Mojo Tone makes a Princeton head box, but it's made for the 65. I talked to the guys at Mojo Tone and they said they could not confirm that the 68 would fit, even though the measurements are almost exactly. And so I just never made the, you know, I never took the chance because I was like, I'll have to, I'll just know I'll be wrestling with it for a couple hours trying to get it all work. And I'm sure it'll work, but I just don't have the time to give up. And so it would be really nice if like there was a Fender 68 Princeton, you know, authorized head box so I can convert my combo to a head and and knowing that it's going to be right because uh, obviously, you know, Fender is obviously somehow involved in making sure it's right. Um, now, when I say that, like I said, they're not inspecting the stuff, but I'm sure they are privy to the specifications, the, the measurements, which is important as well. So... Um, Ellen says, I'm a lawyer. If they don't, if they don't, if they don't license it, they have to defend their trademark nonstop. Of course. Yeah, of course. Well, I always, I've always said this for many years. I always like Fender's approach to the licensing over Gibson's approach to the just shutting everyone down because of that exact reason. You, you have to, you have to fight it all the time. And I always thought it was smarter for Fender 
to uh, go the licensing route. Unfortunately, it looks like from everything I read in those transcripts, which were pretty pretty interesting. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. There's, there's some stuff in there that Ron did that I thought was pretty ingenious with winning the case, and uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so now I think it's better for everybody. I even think it's better for Fender in the long run. So. Uh, so there you go. Um, uh, Matt Field says 68 and 65 use identical chassis. They do almost. <laughs> I have both and they're, they're off. It's off by, I forget what it is. It's not an eighth of an inch. It's not something dramatic like that, but it's, it's just a little bit off. They're just a little bit off and they'll probably fit interchange correctly, but it's just, makes me nuts that they're just a little bit off. The reason why being a little off is a little problematic for you, for me, is uh, I don't want it to have big gaps and stuff. I don't want it to look off. So like I said, I'll mess with it one day. Like I said, my biggest problem, so you know, is not that the, they're off. It's my biggest problem is I don't have the time to do it. It's not something I would make content with. So it's not something I can, you know, say, hey, I'm making content. It would be personal time. And, and personal time is pretty scarce. I have Time is my biggest obstacle is what one of my friends says all the time. And I agree. Okay. Um, Okay. Hold on a second. Um, Yeah, uh, Daniel says, haven't they uh, also released entire kits, a licensed entire kits of Mojitone? I don't know if I read that. It's, pro- it's possible. I haven't read it. Uh, like I said, I saw the initial uh, release in passing, and then that's what I was familiar with. Okay, let's do this. Let's go. What do we got the next? Next, we have uh, Super Lead 100 says, hey, Phil, I was wondering if you have a Mark King Level 42 as an influence on bass. So he's talking about the band Level 42. If you guys don't know them, you do know them. That's one of those bands. Like if you go, I've never heard of them. You have. They have a bunch of hit songs that somebody's heard for sure. So Mark King is the bass player. He's uh, notorious. Notorious? I guess notorious. Everyone kind of, if you know Mark King, you know the big deal about Mark King is he like wraps electrical tape around his thumb into like a, basically like a mallet and then thumps the bass with it. Uh, which is really great. Uh, so no, he wasn't, isn't one of my bass influences. I really, really love what he does. And I love obviously their music and the, his, his playing and their songs. And he has probably one of the most perfect sounding slap bass tones to the point where it's so perfect. It, you know, it's like, I think when they kind of synthetically copy, you know, with synthesizers, slap bass, I think they copy his tone because it's so perfect. Um, no, who I got, who got me into bass really was Stu Ham. Uh, you know, the, the album, The Urge. I, I heard that and I was like, oh, that's crazy. That's also where my craze, uh, kind of 32 inch scale bass thing comes from. I have a, a prototype, uh, Stu Ham Urge bass early model and, uh, and, uh, it's a, uh, 32 inch scale. And, I loved it. I love the idea that he was doing that. I kind of read articles about him explaining why he liked them. And then I sought them out and had them made. And uh, uh, so he got me into bass. But Marcus Miller is my biggest influence, for sure. I love, I'm a huge Marcus Miller fan. I mean, I have a signed picture of him in my hallway. <laughs> so, uh, and then after Marcus Miller, I mean, obviously, all the biggies, man. Who doesn't love, you know, Victor Wooten? Who doesn't love... Uh, 
you know, Billy Sheehan, you know, all these guys that I, I love. But I mean, when I think of people like, you know, these are the people that I not so much influence me, but I just listen to constantly. It's Marcus Miller, Michelle and Deo Cello, uh, for sure. They're up there. Huge for me. And then, of course, I'm still a Stu Ham fan, of course. And and then after that, uh, Stanley Clark. No, Stanley. Yeah, Stanley Clark. <laughs> almost said Stanley Jordan. Stanley Jordan's the guitar player. Stanley Clark. Um, but uh, Marcus Miller, for sure. Uh, Joshua says, hey, I just ordered a guitar with a 2.5 year wait. How do you deal with the anticipation? I don't. I have never ordered a guitar that has taken longer than a few months. Um, I can't do it at all. It's not even conceivable for me. Um, I can't do it. I I can tell you right now, uh, if a company, if I call a company or if I talk to somebody and they say it takes a year, I'm already tapped out. I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Um, I can't do it. Here's why I just don't even know if I'll even be the same person in two and a half years. Um, I mean, I sound sarcastic. I appreciate everyone. Just think of it like, like ADD or something, right? I just don't have the, the, I don't have the patience for that. Um, to me, six months, I think that's where I can push it. Maybe a year. And I've probably waited close to a year for something. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, but that's about it for a guitar and stuff for ordering it. So also, which has nothing to do with Joshua and you'll totally be safe, even though I don't know what company you're talking about. But in my experience, every guitar company who's ever taken longer a year never made the guitar they were going to make me, whether I paid for it or not. <laughs> so I'm also gun shy. <laughs> so um, and uh, so I'm always I'm always weirded out by that. Um, I get it. I get it. So, you know, uh, you know, obviously, like I said that, you know, Joshua, what you're you got to understand, Joshua, the the Badlands business model when it was presented to me. And as I've said many times. Um, you know, I didn't, that was not my brainchild. I'm just part of it. I have a small part and what I do is I think is important, but you know, I hope the other people think it's important. But one of the things that I was very, very upfront about was I was like, yeah, I cannot, not only can I not wait, I can't let people wait that long. So that's another reason when people was like, why did we cut it off? You know, at 50 guitars, I know this comes up sometimes, but it's because again, we weren't going to let people wait. Now, so you know, that was heavily probably me the most uh, saying that. I just, I can't, I can't do it. So I can't expect everybody else to wait six months to a year for something. So there you go. That's the answer to that. But how do you do it? I don't know, man. You have to tell me how you're going to do it. And then I'll learn from you. And then maybe I'll order a guitar that takes two years. But I also know that if you want something, I know those guitars take forever. Like I'm very aware of it right now. Novo. Fender Custom Shop, Gibson Custom Shop, uh, you know, ESP Guitars, sir, they all have two-year waiting lists or longer. Some have three-year waiting lists. So I think Novo is like a year. I don't think they're quite that long yet. Um, But still, I get it. I get it. And I have lots of friends who are waiting for guitars because they've ordered them for a long time. But I'm just just not there yet. Haven't done it. All right. Um, Southpaw007 says uh, any chance on getting an aristides on the channel they seem like they're trying to innovate with materials like parkers i have tried to buy an aristides 
many times uh, I've spent, you know, hours in a pleasurable way, pleasurable way. Like I've spent spending hours on reverb looking at guitars. Is I don't want to make it like, oh, I've worked so hard. It's not work. Just hours looking at um, a um, uh, at Aristides guitars to buy one and put one on the channel. And the reality is, uh, you know, because I need to buy one used. The s- sad thing about this is when you buy guitars for the channel, this was a, literally today's lunch discussion, was, you know, how much money it costs when you buy this stuff and flip it. And I'm I'm very lucky. So you understand, this isn't a complaint thing. This is a, we're very lucky. The channel is is in a position where we do that all the time. And it works for us buying a piece of gear, give, making a video. But I I want to say this in the I want to say this so we're very clear. It's like when we do a sponsored video, okay? Then we do an unsponsored video, okay? Then we do a sponsored video, <laughs> sponsored video. In a perfect world, I would do one for ones. And sometimes I don't have control of that. Sometimes it's like literally like, um, uh. <laughs> We were looking today, just to give you a reference, we were we are now still not quite profitable. Not that it's a big deal, but I'm just saying we're still not profitable on the Dean Zelinsky's Z Clyde guitar video we did last year. It's been one year since we did that video, and that video still hasn't really made a profit over the cost of doing the video, which again, some you win, some you lose. But the point is, uh, with the RSDs, I'm trying, man, I'm trying. Um, some people reach out to us and say the loanest guitars. Uh, that's cool too, as well, but you gotta understand part of our biggest problem is, is that I'm backed up all the time. And so to do that, it's almost like I have to stop what I'm doing. And in 99% of the time, uh, when I have to stop what I'm doing, it's someone who's supporting the channel by sponsoring it that we're pushing back. And that's a very hard and weird ethically thing to do to say, okay, this person's actually helping the channel go. And we're, we're, uh, hold on a second. Oh, and we're, um, you know, we're pushing them back to do something else. So, so, uh, the answer to your question is if I can get an Aristides, I'm working on it. Uh, obviously what I do sometimes is when I, when I buy a guitar to review on the channel, um, I try to buy something I think I'll really like because then, then it's a lot easier sometimes for me because I'm like, oh, I really like it. I think I'll keep it. And what's great about that is I can sell off something else and then it doesn't really, doesn't feel so dramatic, right? It's, it's kind of like it feels a little cooler, but most stuff I don't keep as you guys know. So, but yes, I'm looking at the guitars. I think I reached out to those guys to see you know, if they were interested in something and I don't think I ever got a response back, but I could be wrong. I could be confusing them with another brand. You know, I don't, like I said, I don't reach out to a whole lot of brands very often. So, cause we used to, and then what I found is it just, sometimes it's, it's a very involved process trying to explain a YouTube video to somebody in 2023. I did this week, by the way. So, you know, I'm not being sarcastic. I literally this week had to explain to a company what it is that I do <laughs> and why it would be helpful to them in any way, shape or form. Um, and, uh, it was a very long, very long conversation. Okay. Uh, let's, let's refresh this. Let's go into the 
chat. Let's see what you guys are talking about. I'm looking. So I did all the early questions. Um, let me take a second and share. Well, now I don't know if I should. Hold on a second. Let me go back. I don't know if I can fix. So my problem is the audio is set only to my main screen. I was going to share something with you guys. So let me share it with you and then I'll talk about it. So I'm going to show you a picture. I want to talk about this. Uh, something I thought was really cool. I watched the, um, halftime show last Sunday, uh, for the game. Obviously, like some people, I didn't watch the game. I just watched the halftime show. <laughs> so I just, that's what I, I came in and we watched the show and I left. And I wanted to talk about that because I was really excited about the halftime show. And I kind of feel like a lot of, a lot of it got lost. And so I thought maybe, even though maybe it's right to talk about it here. So let me show you the picture. It's, it's Rihanna with her band. And of course, Nuno Bettencourt is her guitar player. Um, or, or at least he plays guitar for her quite often. So let me show you the picture. And of course, Nuno's holding the red guitar right there. So it's a red in four. Uh, so I'm sure um, I saw where they wrapped the bass player's bass uh, for the show. And I'm sure Nuno's guitar was painted in the amp was red vinyl for uh, the show to go with the stage. I got to tell you how exciting that was and how no one really, I didn't see. So maybe if I'm wrong, I hope I'm wrong. I'm hope I'm wrong. I hope somebody going to put in comments. No, no, everybody was talking about this. I thought that was the most exciting thing. A hundred and 30 million people watched the halftime show. And, you know, Rihanna is a big act. She's a big, a big star and she's a pop star, right? And, you know, as a guitar channel and us guitar players, we're like, you know, pop music, frumpy frump, even though some of the best guitar licks sometimes from the eighties are from pop songs, but Hey, here's the important part. She had all those dancers. She had that show, but let me tell you what I was excited about. She had the band. I don't even know if they actually played. <laughs> I mean, they were there, you know, they were, they were motioning. I, you know, who knows? Maybe they're mimicking it's to a backing track, right? But here's, what's great. You know, um, I have no doubt in, in my mind that, you know, there was tons of, of kids watching that show being blown away. And whether you realize it or not, just seeing the physical band there, just seeing that there's musicians, a drummer, a bass player, you know, keyboards, the guitar, um, you know, um, to me, it was exciting, uh, for the show. My daughter, as you know, is 18. And I said, Oh, do you know who the guitar player is? And she's like, no. And I showed her, Oh, here, I got a bunch of, in, I know, in four guitar. I got another in four guitar this green swirled. And I showed her my picture of Nuno with me and, and, uh, her mom. And then I showed her the autograph picture of Nuno. She didn't care, but, <laughs> but my point is, is that, um, and see, David says, Rihanna, no thanks. Well, see, David, here's what's funny. This is the thing. Rihanna did something, and I, like I said, I want to give her credit for this, man. She had a band on stage, right? Um, and a lot of you guys are talking about Prince. I heard a lot. Look, Prince was amazing. But the important part is, is she didn't have to. The show was a 13-minute blip. Uh, it's not like she needed it for dramatic effect, uh, I think it was just really, really cool to see, um, not a rock band. I mean, of course, who wouldn't want to see a rock band on the stage at the halftime show? Who wouldn't want to see guitar players, musicians? Of course we do. But so you know, that actually is the opposite of what I think would have happened. In other words, what I, what I mean is if they would have been there, right? If they would have been there, a, a rock band, maybe the kids wouldn't have dialed into it mentally, right? But they watched Rihanna because, I mean, she's huge to them. And, um, 
she's, you know, she's the it thing right now. You know what I mean? She's in, you know, she's, she's an artist that's doing well. So what's great is, is I think, uh, I was really excited to see, obviously one of my guitar heroes on stage at the Super Bowl show, even with Rihanna, which was fantastic. I loved it. I mean, it's like, come on, man, Nuno, you know, playing for, you know, stand there in front of 130 million people at the show. That's a big thing. It's a big feather in his cap, uh, in his career. You know what I mean? And I really was excited to see a band on the stage. And so, you know, I was watching the show and I even had to watch it. I've watched it two or three times since because I, I didn't even really see it. I was watching it and I was so nervous. I'm not kidding. I was so nervous. I was like, I don't see the band. She's not going to bring out the band. It's just going to be dancing, which is fine, but it's not, you know, um, and when I saw the, the the middle where she drops down on the stage and then the band's behind her playing, I went, that's, that's great. Because like I said, it's it's important. It's important that they see that there's music there, you know, that's made by musicians instead of mu- music made by a laptop. I think that's important because the music comes from musicians. <laughs> that's where it came from. Even if you recreate it off a laptop, it's sampled off something originally made by a musician. So it's so exciting to see musicians in that format, even if it's for a minute, even if they weren't, like I said, I don't even know if they were playing or they were just, you know, kind of like motioning with it. I don't care. I'm just happy because to me, being on a platform like this, I know how conversion rates work. In other words, I know the numbers. If so many people see something, so many people take action on what they saw. And at uh, that number, to say 130 million people saw it, just saw it, it is not a far stretch to say we could have a thousand or 10,000 people take up music. I mean, and that's just the throwing a stupid number out. I really probably could crunch it and <laughs> figure out what probably converts to on average for most stuff, but it's just interesting. So I just wanted to talk about it. I didn't see anybody talk about it. I saw Guitar World obviously posted that Nuno did the show and they talked about Rihanna and I didn't want to talk about Rihanna. I wanted to talk about Nuno and music and and all of you guys out there that have uh, kids and grandkids and also some of you younger uh, uh, people that watch the show. You know, like I said, I just wanted to take notice to it and share it with you. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Drew is funny. Uh, next year's halftime show will be, will be all live humans replaced by Chat GPT. GPT. Yeah. Well, of course. Uh, so the um um, there's a there's a story. I'll tell you a funny story about. <laughs> A non-music story. So my buddy Chris uh, is a well. He was. He's got other. He does other things now. But he was a sound man, and uh, we have a saying in in our um, circles. And uh, when everybody says, if you have friends that say, you know what they say, you know how people always say, you know what they say, <laughs> you know, or you know the old saying. Um, in our circles of friends, if you say, uh, you know what they say, we say, f the sound man. And the reason is, is because he did sound at a, a venue in Phoenix. And um, this story is funny, so I'm sharing with you because it just made me it made me think of it just now and I'm going to share it. Um, he was doing sound and one night a rap group came in and the show was for a rap band or a rap group, I should say. And all they had was a laptop. And he's like, OK, what do you need? Because he's a sound guy. And they're like, yeah, we just need you to plug the laptop into the sound system and and then our mics. 
And, you know, he was kind of like excited because, you know, this is now this is an easy gig, gig, you know, right? I mean, obviously, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a nice night where you get paid the same. You don't have to mic up the drums and do all this stuff. So they plug in the laptop. He hooks up the mics. And while they're performing, I don't know how long in the show. I don't know if it's halfway the show or three quarters or if it was the quarter way in the show. But at some point, the la- they never plug. They didn't plug the laptop in the wall. So the laptop battery died. So the music stops. Right, which is on stage. The laptop's on stage, on the side stage. The music stops, and their 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 mics still work. And what they did was horrible. The crowd starts booing, and they said, "What's up with the sound?" They go and they started chanting, "F the sound man, F the sound man." And then hundreds of of angry <laughs> of of fans start chanting. F the sound man. And my buddy's like, oh my God, he's just, he's deciding right now. Does he try to run to the stage and fix it? Or does he head for the door? Right? <laughs> Cause everyone's mad and he didn't do it. Right? So instead he runs to the stage, gets a laptop, gets it plugged in, <laughs> right? They boot it back up. And, um, I laughed cause when he told us the story, we, we now say, well, you know what they say, F the sound, man. So, uh, even if it's uh, your laptop battery, it goes out. And then of course I laugh when I think about the idea that that's an artist out there. They show up on stage and they have a laptop. <laughs> and that's the whole, the whole thing is this back and track. And, uh, and, uh, there you go. I don't know if the story was that funny, but I like saying it. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go to an, another subject. Um, something new and exciting or just new. I'm looking at your comments real quick. A lot of you guys want to talk about AI. We'll be right back. Ever wonder how your favorite entertainers and athletes made it from childhood to the spotlight? Join me, Nashville-based entertainment reporter Jennifer Vickery-Smith, as I chat with moms of entertainers and entertaining moms on my hit podcast, Got It From My Mama. You'll hear delightful conversations with moms of everyone from the Jonas Brothers, Luke Bryan, Kelsey Ballerini, Steph Curry, Travis Kelsey, and so many more, sharing the journey from a perspective only a mama can share. New episodes weekly as we share the best conversations of family, faith, and fame on the Got It From My Mama podcast. Okay. All right, let me hit a super chat while I'm looking, because sometimes when I'm looking... I can't find it, but that's what's great about the Super Chats. They're in colors, and they're big, and they're bold. And the first one comes from Vimp69, and I already think this is not going to go well because I don't think I have an answer to his question. Vimp69 says, I'm giving my nephew from Japan a guitar when he comes to visit in the U.S. next month. Do I need to give him some paperwork to get it through customs, proving it's a gift so he doesn't have to pay tariffs and duties? I am so not informed in this. Um, I have traveled with guitars uh, to, to other countries. And I have never had to pay anything and nor did they ever, do I ever remember them even asking me if I bought it? Um, but I think, I think, and I don't know, I think maybe they know like, cause I usually go with like a bag, a suitcase and a guitar case right? Because the guitar is in the case. So maybe they know I went there with a case and then came back with a case. So they didn't ask, but I've, I, I always wondered that, but I don't know. Cause I'm always, 
I'm a U.S. citizen, so it's always like back to the U.S. I don't know. Um, they, I remember going through customs, but they always ask you stuff like, did you, if they ask you if you bought anything, you know, while you're there or whatever you did, or if you have any food or any fruit or whatever they ask you. Um, and, uh, you know, my guitars are, are, you know, I, I brought them with me, so I don't know. So I don't know what you do, but I'm hoping somebody in the, in the comment sections are very versed in this. Um, I know those duties and fees can get pretty, pretty tricky. And I know, um, I know this, my wife has shipped many things to people as gifts and as, you know, purchases. And w even when she puts it in as a gift, um, we, I always hear like, oh, like, oh, I had to pay fees, but it wasn't as high. So I don't know how that works. But hopefully bringing it up here, you have some some viewers that are international that can help you with what you need to do. So to help you with that, because I understand those fees can get pretty crazy. So uh, Ross says, what would you choose if you only had one Desert Island Fender style amp to play at home? This is easy. 57 Classic Custom Deluxe Tone Master Imperial. Or Amplified Nation Wonderland. Oh, okay. He says picking. I got to pick from your list. Oh, I thought I, I got the picks. Um, I have not played the Wonderland Overdrive by Amplified Nation, but uh, based on everything I, I have learned from the two Amplified Nation amps that I do use, uh, I would pick the Amplified Nation. Look, Amplified Nation is an easy, easy, easy thing to talk about. Uh, I I reviewed the, um, the uh, Overdrive Reverb, which is right here. And my next review is this month of the Amplifonics and Gain. And uh, Amplified Nation has got to be the easiest so far out of all the amps I've tried from them. They got to be the easiest product to talk about. It's real simple. Do you have a lot of money? Then you should buy that. <laughs> right? I, I mean, if you, if you do, do it. You won't be sad. However, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Uh, I, I mean, it's crazy. I, I can tell you out of all the amps. So the Wonderland special, I would have to imagine it's kind of, and that's from my, what my understanding of interviewing Taylor Cox, the owner and of Amplified Nation, uh, Amplified Nation is that the Wonderland, uh, which is kind of more like a John Mayer-esque styled Dumble type amp, um, is probably going to be like this overdrive reverb, right? That I've that I've checked out. And I think that's what he kind of explained to me. The overdrive re reverb is kind of like the holy grail of all those kind of things. I'm kind of paraphrasing. So based on this amp, I would definitely pick the Wonderline, uh, Wonderland overdrive uh, from your list. Not even, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even consider the other ones. The Tone Master Imperial. I like the Tone Master Imperial. Obviously I reviewed that one as well. 57 Custom Deluxe, great amp as well. But without a doubt, Amplified Nation Wonderland Deluxe, um, or Wonderland Overdrive. Um, of all of the Amplified Nation amps, I'm going to tell you, uh, even though it's kind of, you know, cat out of the bag kind of thing, the Amplifonics and Gain is my favorite. And I haven't even played them all, but I don't need to. <laughs> the Amplifonics and Gain does something that, uh, this is what it does. It does, to for me, it does the Fender Bassman clean with the punchy sound. It does, uh, it does the Marshall uh, plexi grit tone. It does Saldano oversaturated, you know, kind of, uh, you know, more compressed, more distorted sound. Um, and I don't mean like it has like 10 channels. It just does that. You just turn knobs and find those sounds in this amp. It's just a magical amp. Um, it's, it's made with unicorn dust and magic and, uh, and 
apparently I, I'm not being sarcastic. It is amazing, but boy, whoo, that price tag as that is something. And I will tell you, I'll say it, whether I get killed for this or not, if you have the money, it's worth it. I mean, it's worth it. If you don't have the money, I understand it's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. I can name what, I, if you don't have the money, here's the good news. If you don't have the money, I can name 10 amps that will get you close enough. But it's mad. It, think about this. It out. I have a Saldano and I like this more than my Saldano for the Saldano sound, which is funny as hell. <laughs> funny thing to say. I like, and I like that more than the, <laughs> I like it more than the Marshall for the Marshall sound. I like it more for the Fender than my Fender for the Fender sound. It's like, that's what it does. Um, uh, and I'm also, I love it, but I'm getting a little, uh, I've had a lot of friends come over and every single friend who plays all my amps, uh, even though the bad cat is kind of like the star of my show. In other words, I really like that amp. This amp, every person comes over and says, that is one. They all say, well, not all of them. All, all but two friends say that's the ugliest thing they've ever seen. <laughs> and two friends think it's cool. But all of them say like every time they play all the amps, they go, holy crap. And I go, I know. And then I tell them the price and they go, oh, whoa. And I go, I know. It's nuts. Some of you guys are going to Google it and go, holy crap. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's a lot of money. I'm not, like I said, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So, I mean, okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else? Oh, we're still doing, oh, we're done with the Desert Island guitars. By the way, whenever you guys ask me that, like, what Desert Island guitar would you use? I'm like, I don't know, where am I getting electricity at? <laughs> I'm really was curious, like, where does this electricity come from? I kind of feel like all Desert Island questions should be, what acoustic would you bring? Uh, John, hey, what? It's John Whitmore. Hey, John, what's up, buddy? He says, uh, while, while, a while back, you replaced the bridge and pickups in my Fender made in Mexico base. Yeah, we made a video. Says, uh, would you have any suggestions for doing the same thing on a Rickenbacker base? Neck pickup is loose in the pickup body, so it vibrates. And of course, the bridge is lifting. Um, I wouldn't replace things on a Rickenbacker. If it's a real one, I wouldn't replace those things with other components. I would just fix the components on it. Rickenbacker bases to me are a magical. I don't know. I'm going to stop saying magical, guys. I'm sorry. To me, it's a beautiful sounding instrument and, and it's it's a sound that is so damn good and unique. I just physically can't play one. My I, I had been playing bass for you know 15 years before I picked up a Rickenbacker. And uh when I did, uh everything on that bass was like it was like I don't know how to explain it. It's like, <laughs> it's like piece of metal hit your arm, right? Hit my elbow. Like everything, there's just so much stuff on this thing that I'm like, I don't know how to get situated with it. And I would mess with them and I would like the way they sound, but I just felt like, oh, I can't get, you know, situated. So um, what I would uh, recommend is uh, uh, fixing those things. Uh, if the pickup's loose, you can you can put some foam behind that, fix that, put some new screws in it. Same with the bridge, new screws. I mean, I would fix it. Don't replace that stuff. The Rickenbacker is not a company where I think of them as, you know, things you need to modify. I don't see a whole lot of people modding those kind of instruments, which is, which is one of the benefits of those. 
Uh, Craig says, hey, Phil, pick up noob question. After playing a few PAF style guitars, I think I find them too scooped. They are. The average PAF pickup is going to be scooped, uh, which is why a lot of players did not like them through Fender amps because Fender amps are very scooped. A lot of Fender's a lot of chime and a lot of low end that big V thing. So yeah, a PAF uh, into a, a Fender amp is uh, no moss for for a lot of people. Uh, he says, I think I find them too scooped. Okay, I like the 498Ts. I like them okay. I like that pickup. I do. Um, it's not my favorite Gibson pickup, but remember, I'm a fan of almost every Gibson pickup, including that one. So what buzzword should I look for when uh, when shopping for pickups? Thanks. Um, look, I'll, t- I'll tell you that most pickups are going to be some kind of a variation of a PAF pickup. And so you're looking for the ones that have more of a mid hump. And what's great about that is you don't have to look for the buzzwords. In fact, what I'm going to suggest to you is don't, don't read ad copy. The ad copy on pickups are why pickups are a, a problem for most play people and B why some people think pickups are all shine. In other words, it's fake, right? Um, because if you read the ad copy, the marketing copy, the marketing copy is fake and crazy it's like this pickup's great for distortion but it's also beautiful for cleans and heavy metal death guys love the sound but blues players love the like jazz players love the so this pickup's made for everyone right and it can be so here's what you're looking for when you go to seymour duncan or bare knuckle or dimarzio or whoever your preferred choice of pickup maker is hopefully a lot of them will put tone charts next to the pickups and what you're looking for is anything that's if that if you like the PF, but you like you know the the, uh, the output of it, you know it's kind of clean and it doesn't really push the amp too hard. You like that, but you don't like the scoop sound. Look for something that has more mid push, or more importantly, it's not going to be the. You understand? There's not more mids. They're just going to be reduced like this. Hey, one of those. Okay, uh, reduced highs and lows on the pickup. So so if that helps. So. Uh, so uh, that's what you're looking for. And there's a ton of them out there. I could suggest a couple, but I think just let you go and kind of run wild. Um, uh, uh, BB made says, BB made says pearly gates, Seymour Duncan. I would agree. The pearly gates, uh, probably should have more mids in it. That's the way I look at the jazz pickup. will have just slightly more mids in it than the 59. So, I mean, there's tons of uh, stuff there. I re- I reviewed the, uh, what's the pickup that I really like from DiMarzio that I can't remember the name right now. And I'm going to look it up right now as we speak. And I'm going to do that by just putting Philip McKnight and DiMarzio in YouTube and the video will come up and it's the Fortitude. The Fortitude to me has a, a fuller mid response uh, the Northern Light pickup that I wind as more mids because I have the same I have the same problem. So you know we're kindred spirits. I love what PFs do to an amp. I love that an amp can just kind of you know ha- do its thing without the pickup doing something to it. You know, in other words, pushing the amp to gritty or being underpowered and just make the amp sound a little thinner. I love what PFs do, but sometimes I find some versions of the PF just too scooped, and so I like something that has. Uh, again, more mids or again, less bass and treble. So it's more, more evenly responsed. And uh, I think the fortitude will do that. I think, uh, I think that I would take the suggestion that somebody said about the um, pearly gates. I think that's a little bit more like that. I like the jazz a little bit more like that. The Northern lights I make is definitely wired like are wound like that. 
for that same purpose. And then also the Pete Thorne Thornbuckers um, are really in the high end. They're like a lot of high frequency treble, but they have a lot more mids. They don't have the bass response. So, um, and the reason I don't like the scooped thing is because it's not because I don't like mids. I like things a little like this, <laughs> but I also really like how single coils react. I like the chime that they, you know, the clarity they have. And I find that if the pickup gets scooped, they don't have that magic, or at least they can't fake that magic. Um, oh, okay. Uh, this is from 7777 Hair Banger. Binger. Hair Binger. Oh, see, Hair Banger would be better. Harbinger. Harbinger. <laughs> Bunch of sevens. Uh, the question is, what kind of finish, if any, is on a roasted maple neck? Fretboard of my new Sterling Cutlass CT50. This guitar rules. I just want to properly take care of it. So in, I would say uh, most to almost all roasted maple necks, most, uh, 90%, 9 out of 10 roasted necks, they're not going to have any real finish on them. Maybe some tongue oil, some gunstock oil. Um, there's all kinds of just oil-based finishes that will be um, uh, uh, do that. I have repaired a lot of of roasted maple necks, so I've, I'm kind of versed in it. Um, and uh, and they are pretty much like unfinished, like tongue-oiled maple necks. Um, some companies will shoot a clear finish over them. Uh, I believe Sire Guitars shoots a clear over the fretboard. I think the back and sides of the neck was unfinished. So they might shoot a polyurethane on it, like I said. But I'm the CT50, the Cutlass by Sterling, I do not think it has a clear finish on it. The good part about this is I would use, like I said, like a gunstock oil, um, something like that. Or you can use the F1, <laughs> the F the Soundman oil. <laughs> <laughs> this, I don't know why I'm having so much trouble today. Hold on. Uh, I think it's called F1 oil. Hold on. F1 oil. F1 oil. It's what I have in the shop and I absolutely, absolutely. And it's called the F1 oil. I'm going to share a picture with it. So you see, look at that right there. Okay. So one more time. And again, I apologize for the audio being off on my other screenshots, but I'll fix that for next week. But, um, but uh, the F1 oil by Music Nomad, absolutely love that. I use it on every single thing. I use it on maple. I use it on ebony. I use it on rosewood. I use it on acoustic guitar bodies. I use it on, I'll, I don't care what it gets. I'll put it on the pickups, <laughs> right? Um, I was talking to the people at Music Nomad and uh, they said to me uh, the thing that I want to hear from some companies. And they're like, yeah, you can put it on anything. It won't hurt anything. And I'm like, all right, you're going to get it. And I put it on everything. And I was waiting to see, you know, I go, oh, look what it did. And nope, it's pretty, pretty bulletproof. So I could, I would recommend that. I really feel strongly about that. I don't think uh, I've, I, I like, I like to recommend things, not only that I use, but things I've used, abused and used on every kind of situation. So if you do something and that you have a different result than I just said, you probably had to find something I just haven't had access to. And that's possible. And I, you know, I pre-apologize for that, but I mean, I, I can tell you right now, like I've, I put that stuff all over, um, uh, roasted necks. Now, what I will tell you, the great thing about the F1 oil, if you go that front way from music nomad, um, is if you put it on a roasted maple neck and your roasted maple neck does have a fin finish on it, whether it be polyurethane or a light nitro lacquer finish, uh, nothing will happen. <laughs> It'll just kind of 
be, you know, think of it like, you know, it's just going to be oil on top of the finish and you just wipe it off and it did nothing. And you'll, and if you see it didn't like penetrate into the wood or didn't do anything, then I wouldn't do anything. Um, keep in mind, you really shouldn't have to do anything to a roasted neck. So, um, you know, you don't really have to, uh, do anything. The only reason you would use it is just a light amount on a cloth. Really what I would use it for is to clean. Sometimes you know, get oil and dirt and stuff you want to clean and just put a little bit of it on there on a cloth just to help clean it off. All right. Uh, okay, Michael, what's up, buddy? Uh, Michael Nielsen says, hey, is there a best way to store hard shell cases so they don't damage the case or the guitar over long term? So um, I like to store my cases vertically with the butt down, so the body guitar down. The cases are easy to see that way because they're usually the handle is off, right? The handle is closer to the back of the case in almost every situation. So... I, I, so when I visually look at my cases all vertical in a, in a, in a, you know, closet or whatever, I'm usually looking for all the handles to be t- closer to the floor. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, the case by itself with no guitar in it, I don't know if that would have any effect. I wouldn't worry. I don't worry about it. I don't know if you would need to worry about it, but when storing a guitar, I store it butt down vertical. And the reason I do that is because two reasons. One, if you hit upside down, it shouldn't hurt, but, um, you know, (laughs) shouldn't hurt, but I don't know if, you know, it's going to be a lot easier. Like just like being the guitar stand, it's going to be easier if the weight of the guitars, because some cases, you know, the guitar can shift in there. So if it goes forward, you can be putting, if it can get the headstock to touch the, the bait, the top of the case. Now you're putting the weight of the guitar on the headstock. I don't really foresee it doing any damage to a guitar in the long term for that. But again, let's just, you know, caution. And it, you know, it's not like it's hard to put the case in the way I said. Um, vertical for another reason. Um, because cases, cases generally only protect the guitar from side impacts on the corners. That's kind of how they're designed. You know, they're all designed so the case kind of hits the corner of a wall and you're fine. But if you were to put a case, like, let me put it this way, uh, Michael, I'm going to tell you a story and that story will actually illustrate this perfectly. A guy came in my shop one day. Uh, he looked uh, like he was horrified because he was horrified. And what he told me was this and I, and I, and it happened for a fact. Okay. He, he had a guitar in a case, okay? The headstock had about a 13-degree angle and it was pitched and the headstock was raced, resting uh, on the bottom of the case, which it shouldn't be doing. Your, your headstock should always be at least an, a quarter of an inch away from the bottom of the case. So if you look at it, if you put a guitar in a case and when you look at the headstock, you want every component, the tuning keys, the, head, the tip of the headstock, everything, you want at least a quarter inch away from touching the bottom of the case. When you see a headstock resting on the floor of a case, that's bad. And here's why I'm going to tell you. So he had this guitar in his case. He had the case laying flat on the floor and his toddler, <laughs> little kid, started jumping on his case. And he said, I don't know why. I just let him jump for like a couple times, like bump, bump, bump. And he's like, hey, you know, come on, let's get off the case. He pulled the case. He opens the case and the headstock had snapped. And it's because the kid jumped on the case and the case is thin, right? Especially the plastic ones. And so the guitar's not really, not really protected this way. So when I put the cases flat in the, in the closet, or if you put them flat and stack them this way, they should be safe. But my concern is what happens if you put a case that's smaller and the weight is pushing on the center of the guitar, not to mention you can be pushing the weight of the strings. The, the weight could be pushing the strings into the frets. And over time, 
touching, just touching the frets, two pieces of metal touching over time, you can get corrosion that you don't have to deal with. So I like cases vertical and pointing headstock up. I don't worry about it, but that's how I do it. So when I'm like, in other words, like you guys don't have to stop watching the show and run and check which way your cases are facing. <laughs> right now, somebody is. <laughs> when they come back, let's all, let's all change clothes. All right. Uh, Jennifer did a super chat to say, thanks. I appreciate that. We all float here. It says, Hey, I bought a guitar kit, flame, maple veneer, and a Nash body trans purple finish, natural neck. Any suggestions on dye, clear coat and grain filler? I am not a finish guy. So unfortunately I'm not very helpful in that. I have only used the dyes that came from crimson guitars. I really, really enjoyed those dyes as well. I am working on a kit guitar video uh, that I'm doing. It's a, it's a Stu Mac kit guitar and I'm doing a different finish on it. And the video should have been done. The problem I'm having is, believe it or not, it's freaking cold in Arizona. Now, when I say cold, so don't get in trouble. It's 50 here. And some of you guys are like 50, that's not cold. But here it's a, it's, a, <laughs> I need it in the seventies to do what I'm doing because I'm doing something with the guitar. Um, so sadly enough, I really can't tell you uh, anything other than, like I said, the finishes I use from uh, Crimson Guitars and um, grain filler, same thing. Not a, I, I've never used, usually you use a lot of grain filler with maybe mahogany or ash, right? You're, you're obviously using an ash body. So you can, obviously, you got to use grain filler if you're going to try to clean it or clean it, if you're trying to paint it and clear coat it. But I'm just not the paint guy. So um, there is a cool, there's some cool co uh, channels that do paint stuff. I would seek them out. Um, I've even watched some stuff and done some stuff. And watched it um so uh grumpy my guitar says hey man for the tone jar why not i love the new look thanks man uh like i said it's a uh, look my cup actually matches the background <laughs> that's 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 how we we're like professionals here now this is the new audio system so the audio system was for the people who complain now it's better i'm louder now which i'm sure some of you guys love I'm louder now. I'm more compressed now. I got other stuff going on, all this software going on on the podcast and then the new background. And uh, it's fun. It's a little funner way to showcase this stuff and do something. I kind of feel was funny. I want to do this just to look. I just want to do this. Because every time I look, my, my view, it looks like I'm sitting on some kind of weird digital backdrop. Like this stuff's not really here. But look, I can touch it. <laughs> So there you go. That's proof. Or I just touch some fake screen. I don't know. There you go. Uh, my chair creaks. So now next I need a new chair. I just finally replaced the creaky chair on the YouTube videos. No one was saying anything. I appreciate you guys not saying anything, but my old stool was creaking. Was And so, you know, I just I had it for about 15 years. And so every time I was moving, making videos, you could hear it creaking, the metal creaking. And uh, it was in the videos. It was driving me crazy. But thank you guys for not saying anything. I appreciate that. Um, let's see. What else, what else do we have? We have uh, uh, Robert did a super chat, man. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, the Panda says, happy episode 301. Do you know of a solid of a solid guitar I can use for the office to practice noodle and strum? No acoustic, uh, short to full scale, no amp. So what I would suggest for that kind of guitar is get any kind of semi hollow guitar. They're louder. They're physically louder. Um, I, I would even get a hollow body. 
So I know you said no acoustic, but that's that's what I like. You know, what's funny is I um I take my for for me for travel the guitar I take is I take the um, the uh, uh, Kiesel Delos headless guitar because it's so easy. But since I've had the Strandberg because it's chambered, it's so much louder because it's chambered. It's just louder acoustically that. I like it and I find myself not needing to plug in anything. I just, as long as I can hear the guitar pretty good, I, I'm okay. You're right. So uh, anything that's chambered out or semi hollowed is what I would look for in that. And then, you know, uh, and then, you know, <laughs> whatever's in your price range and whatever scale length. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a headless fan. So, you know, I'm a headless guitar all the way guy now. Um, I love, you know, these guitars, you can hang them. I can't hang the heads, the headless guitars. I can't hang. Well, that's another thing we were talking about today. What are we going to do with these headless? Guitars? I have so many headless guitars now, but I have no way to hang them unless I put them on the sideways hangers, which is why this is going to be a background. There's a new background with sideways hangers coming. And then you'll see all the headless guitars and you're going to be like, holy crap. He's really got <laughs> headless guitars now. Yeah. I've really, really kind of bought in on the headless thing. Uh, if you guys want to tell me they're ugly, I agree with you. I don't know why. I think they're ugly too. I think they're boring. And being a bigger dude, it does not, it's not the size guitar that I, I feel like I'm just playing a ukulele. <laughs> but damn, do they not, they stay in tune. They, 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 they are just sound good. I don't know. There's just a lot of things I love about them. So, uh, they're the, the guitars I just want to abuse and, and use. Uh, so, <sighs> You guys have the weirdest damn names. Okay, so this is Scent of a Wheelchair Pillow. <laughs> it says, Phil, I was changing strings on my PRS and the nut fell out. That happens. Uh, should it be glued in? Uh, you're, yeah, hold on. Does it make much difference? Not sure what to think. So sometimes they don't glue them in because just the compression holding them in place. More important, more so on, on a Fender style guitar where there's a channel and it kind of, the nut sits in the channel. And it's compression fit, and then you don't know, fall out. Uh, PRS, like a lot of guitars, the nut is sitting at the end of the fretboard, and there's nothing really to compress it. There might be a little lip that it's kind of compressed in there, holding in there. Um, here's what I like get yourself some tight bond wood glue. You could use Elmer's white glue if that's all you have at your house. I'm okay with that too. Um, here's what's great about it this is all you got to do um, take two dots of wood glue. Um, put them on each side of the nut, just somewhere, you know, on, you know, kind of this, you know, here's the nut, put them right there, right? You can use your finger if you want and just kind of smooth it all out. Push the nut in there, push down really hard. In fact, I like to put the strings on and start tuning the strings up a little bit and letting it kind of compress all the glue out. You don't go crazy with the glue, like a little bit goes a long way. Whatever comes out, you just wipe it off with a dry cloth or napkin. And then if there's a, some residue later, you just use a damp cloth, uh, just damp and it'll come right up. It's water soluble, soluble glue. So it's always going to react to water. So don't worry about that. And that's it. That's all you need. The only reason they glue a nut on a guitar is so it doesn't fall off, <laughs> change the strings. That's the only real reason. The strings hold the nut in place. Um, so, so that's all you need. Some some luthiers in fact um the uh uh atomic guitar works i worked with them when we did a sharp max and he in that video used two dots of super glue and he uses two really fine dots that is not my preferred method but i have seen that done by so many luthiers and guitar techs that if it's done the way he did it two micro dots of super glue 
like I'm just like literally it's like boop boop two dots like the si size of a a pen like a writing pen head um that's acceptable and if you're comfortable with that and again if you that's what you have around you can use that I I like I will I will use wood glue as much as I can I have all kinds of glues in the shop <laughs> right uh all kinds of different I have different kinds of super glues right if you're a guitar tech you're gonna have at least four or five different types of super glues uh, by viscosity, right? Thinner, thicker, right? Um, and then uh, all kinds of epoxies and all that stuff. But wood glue is your friend because it's it's not going to hurt anything. It's easy to work with. It's easy to correct. And it does the job. It will do the job. So that's all you, you want to do. And so, and I wouldn't worry too much that it fell out. It's not like a, a, a sign of like, oh, they messed up my guitar. Um, they just, probably either didn't use it or they used it again. Like I said, a little goes a, lo a long way. You just want enough to where it holds the nut when you flip the guitar upside down, it doesn't fall off. And the main reason you don't want that is one, you don't want to lose it. And two, you don't want it to break. It could fall and crack. The nut could crack. You get a little hairline fracture in that thing. And then uh, over time, it'll start splitting. You've seen, some of you guys have seen this, like the, the nut separates at a part because um, it's, it's really, it's really a, uh, it's a really hard, it's a hard material, but it's fragile. Um, if it's, well, the PRS will be, cause it'll be either graphite or it will be their, uh, their, uh, glass brass graphite, uh, thing that they make. So it depends on which PRS you have. Um, Tig Rome 01, sure. Uh, says, Hey Phil, do you have any experience with ukulele basses? What do you think of them? I, I played them. I look, I had a D'Armond uh, bass, which is a precursor to me, the D'Armond mini basses that had the silicone rubber strings. And that's where I think, not where I think, that's where I really first uh, saw the beginnings of where it became the ukulele or ukulele basses, whatever you want to call them. And I've played a bunch of them. They're really cool. I like stuff like that. As you know, I'm a fan of, the, of, of ukuleles, ukuleles, however you want to say it. Um, I say ukulele, but you can say it however want to say it um uh i like them uh, you know i don't i don't own one uh, i've never owned one i've played a bunch of them though and they're always cool my main thing is i always kind of like it's i play it and i go well, this is really cool and then the price is kind of expensive for what it is or for what i would use it for which is a once in a once a year maybe thing so i don't have a whole justification for it but i like them and the, i like what the, how they sound and play Steven says, Hey, Phil, I want to unfloat my two part trim strat tremolo. Is it easy or just as, is it easy as easy as just loosening the claw until the bridge rests in the body backwards? You want your bridge to not float on your strat. You said strat trim. So I'm assuming you have a strat guitar. If you have a strat guitar, you would then tighten the screws on the claw and, and behind the body to bring the bridge down, okay, um, against the body. Don't go crazy, <laughs> okay, because you don't need to turn it into like some kind of clamp system where it's pushing all that weight, you know, way too much uh, uh, tension on the body. So what I usually do is tune the guitar up, right? Um, and then I go, I just tune like a half step down, just tune, you don't have to actually have it in tune, but you know, just randomly tune all the tuners to about half step down and then tighten the screws down. That's usually enough because the, again, the bridge is against the body, set the, uh, the uh, two posts, to the height you need, and you'll have to adjust some saddles, but it's all just quick adjustments. And then, uh, once it's down the body, tune it up. And if it lifts on the body, I have, you know, I down tune again, 
tighten them up some more and I just do it until the, when I tune up, it's not pulling up off the body. Now, if you don't have a strat and you just use the term strat trim to explain your type of tremolo and you have some kind of recess thing in there, you would then want to put a wood block behind it. I have a video of that it's called how to live with a Floyd Rose if you don't like it or if you don't. And that's uh, that video. I explain all the ways you can block a, a tremolo system and do exactly what you want to do. So there you go. Uh, JR says, Hey, Phil, love the channel. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And look forward to Friday uh, for the chat. Anyway, question less impact on tone of a JCM 100 2203 attenuator or the PP IMV. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I have to now Google this thing you're saying. I hope. I hope I can Google it. Okay, how it works. It's a master volume. Help me understand this. What is this? The PPIMV. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure this is not fun to... Okay, I'm going to go to images now because I want to see it. Uh, master volume. Okay, so what you're talking about is you want to install a master volume... That's what I'm getting from this, okay? I just want to make sure I understand. Um, holding, I'm just, okay. And they even have a kit. Cool. I'm, I want to look at this, if you don't mind. Okay, I got you. All right. So here's where we're at. So what you're asking me is, you have a, a Marshall JCM 12203 and you want to know, should you run an attenuator in it or put a master volume in it? Um, here's what I will tell you. The answer is super easy. First, as soon as you put the master volume in the amp, you are going to kill the resale value of the amp. We have to just say that. I'm just saying that as a disclaimer. So that I always say, if I ever suggest anything to you that would just harm the value of what you have, I wanted to say that first. So I'm saying that first. It's not like I'm saying that's the thing you should focus on. Um if you do that, even if you put it in and reverse it, um, it, I know sometimes they can put them in one of the output jacks or something in the back so that, you know, basically, you know, if you take it out, no one will ever know it's there. However, uh, you know, sadly enough, you always want to tell somebody what you did. If you modded the amp, even if you modded it back, and then again, you're going to hurt the value on that. So that's the one thing you want to consider. Um, me personally, I'm not a big fan of adding master volumes to amps and modding amps like that. I always find, I've always found... Everyone that I, that I, all my friends and everybody I've ever worked with that does it always seems to run the same kind of cycle, which is at first they're like, oh, why didn't I do this earlier? It was the greatest thing I ever did. And then within a few months, it's either I just removed it or I, you know, I should have never done it. So to me, an attenuator is pretty unintrusive. You, you can install that, you know, without having to do any permit modifications. One of the things that I will tell you, because again, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what I do. I use an attenuator now, especially because I use like the aux or the two notes. At this point in the world of attenuation, um, I can't live with an attenuator that doesn't have a like a DI ability now to record into an interface. To me, it's just it's it's just so amazing to do that. Um, I can take any one of these amps and turn it into a headphone amp and a recording interface at night. And that ability is so, so good. So that's, 
one of the things I would consider. Plus, you know, keep in mind the attenuator and the master volume are going to work slightly different than each other. Um, the JCM2203, hold on a second, because, you know, there's different versions of all these amps. Let me, let me do this, if you don't mind. Okay, so what I want to do is, uh, usually Sweetwater has that. Now I'm looking at the 2203X, and I'm, uh, you didn't say you had the X model, but what I want to see is okay so let me let me s s start by saying this okay because i you have the 2203 and i found the 2203 2203 x and i'm double checking to see if there's just the 2203 which there probably is and i want to see the back of that and man does these sound suck with its two pictures that don't show you everything Please be patient while I look and confirm what I'm looking at. Okay. So all the versions I'm finding have an effects loop. So you might have, you might not have an effects loop in yours, but what I want to tell you is, is if you have an effects loop before you install a master volume or potentiometer to put a master volume, what I would do is put a volume control in the effects loop and try that, experiment with that. I have a video that, that I show that. Uh, you can just Google on YouTube, you know, go to YouTube and just type in Phil McKnight, Master, you know, I don't know. Here, let me find it. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Philip McKnight. Let's see if that comes out. Um, yeah, I have a video like how and why to use an effects loop and ah, okay. So here's the video. Let me show it to you. It's right here, right there. It's how to get a good sound from bedroll levels. Um, where I just use, uh, JHS makes a, a, a cool pedal that does it. You can use a volume pedal. You can use an EQ pedal, um, if it has a volume control on it. And, um, essentially what you can do is just put that in the effects loop of the amp and you can turn that in a makeshift way into like a master volume on the amp. And that'll kind of give let you see what you like on that. That's a great way without doing a permanent modification. Like I said, I'm not a huge fan of permanent modifications. Uh, and you know, I, it's like more of a, there's never really a good answer for that. It's always like, I just got this and I'm thinking about modding it. And I'm like, I wouldn't mod it until you had it for a while. And then somebody goes, I've had it for 20 years and now I'm thinking of modding. I'm like, I don't know. You've loved it for 20 years. You know what? Do you really want to mess with it? So yeah, Matt Field saying the JHS has the cheap effects loop volume thing. Yeah. It's like a little blocks. Uh, it's called a little black box, right? Or something like that. It's like, uh, it used to be 20 bucks. Now they're probably 50, but anything like that, any volume control, volume pedal, anything like that, run it right through the effects loop. And it'll give you that same effect to, to some degree, like again, cause I'm not an amp tech guy. I'm a guitar tech guy. So I don't, I always have to like give the advice in a way that the amp tech guy doesn't put a comment like technically Phil, the, <laughs> the fizzerator operates the fositator and then it blows up the refrigerator. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what I've done for two decades with no ramifications and see where that takes you. So that's what I would say is, uh, check that out, check out doing that first before I would permanently mod the, uh, the, the, uh, amplifier. Uh, there you go. Especially since it's also very cheap to do that. Okay. Uh, fret level midnight. What's up, buddy? So he says how low end lobster reviewed an awful gold filed gold 
foil low and lobster is a, a channel so you guys know low and lobster is a channel where the guy who reviews base gear primarily has a lobster uh, cloth for a hand uh, it's not his real hand <laughs> it's not like he's i'm not like he's like ah here we're gonna make this motion he just has a lobster claw it's kind of a cool thing cool, cool little channel i like it uh uh i don't want to say oh i said little channel like like i didn't mean to be passive like that i mean it's a cool channel i just you know when you have a lobster call it's kind of you're at it's kind of fun and out there uh okay so it says um says uh anyways he says uh he reviewed an awful gold foil jazz bass fender released and found many of them have misaligned bridges thoughts uh fender's qc is uh is uh is a is a is a, is a shoe flow <laughs> Uh, I have, I have, I, I, you know, look, I, I've hit it from every angle. I've, I've put my hands on way too much. Fender. Look, I'm a Fender guy. I'm like, if, like I said, if you, you know, you know, I love my Princeton, you know, I love my strats, you know, I'm a, a Fender guy. I've, I used to say forever, if I can only have one guitar, I'd have a strat. You know, I, I used to, and actually I've kind of lost the love for Fender a little bit. So I used to have this in. I don't want to say insane. That's insane. I used to have a really amazing collection of Fender memorabilia and signs that I just started getting rid of. Cause again, Fender's kind of, you know, that's what happens. I'm not, you know, I'm, they have, uh, to me, in my opinion, they have really just focused on making money and nothing else. And so every time I hear anything about Fender is negative, I'm never in shock. I've heard so many things. I've seen so many things, so much defective product, um, so many unhappy employees, so many employees talking about the fact that all their bosses seem to want to focus on is, you know, they got to sell product and get it out there. And, you know, whatever issues are just, you know, that's somebody else's problem. I really kind of hope they'll recenter a little bit. I, I, you know, it's not, it's not easy for me. First of all, I don't want to talk badly about a brand because I like this stuff. This is the stuff I care about. This is the stuff I buy and I love, but also you got to understand, man, I'm just pissing them off talking like this all the time. So not like I'm worried about not working with them. I'm just worried about like, you know, I don't need headaches from, <laughs> from them, but I also can't hold back when I see something and I go, look, this is bad. You have to fix this. Fender needs to be fixed. It is bad. If I was going to say the single worst entity that I saw through the entire pandemic, it was Fender product. It was the absolute worst. You know, <laughs> I'm, I haven't, I haven't decided if I should do the video. You tell me if I should do the video. I have a, I, during the pandemic, I bought a, a Fender custom shop Stratocaster and it is so misaligned that it almost boggles the mind. And so I decided that I got a bad one. So I went to another retailer um, and bought another one. And that one is also the same problem. And when I say misaligned, that's not incorrectly. I'm saying that incorrectly. What it is, is that the employee that did this, these guitars, they went so crazy with sanding on the neck and the sides of the neck that they took too much material away from the neck. And it, and it's different guitars through different times. And it's just because, again, I know the employees are overworked. Obviously, we've seen that. We know that they're... They're putting out massive guitars. Look, Fender went out there during the, the the pandemic and said, hey, we had the record year in sales we've ever had as a company. And they also had the record problems. And they don't seem to be, they don't seem to be 
paying attention to that. There isn't any kind of grumbling out there. Um, to me, in my opinion, for what it's worth, Fender currently in the last couple of years is worse than any year I ever saw Gibson. And Gibson at least took the, the, the at some point said, okay, we're not doing this right. We're going to fix it. At least say that. I feel like Fender needs to to go, okay, look, we need to readjust and figure this stuff out. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Kevin says, just say I'm tired and I quit you, Fender. I'm never going to quit Fender. I can't. You know what the problem is? I, it's like, I feel like, uh, for, for lack of a better, better analogy, it's like when, when some, some guys really into his, his, his brand of truck or his motorcycle or whatever, and they're just making crap and he's just like a loyal fan. It's like, you know what? I feel like actually better yet since the Super Bowl hope it happened. Here's how I feel about Fender. They're like my team, but my team is not winning anything and it's firing all the wrong players and hiring all the wrong players and doing everything wrong. And I'm like, please stop stop <laughs> just stop just can we get good quality product back it's just it's just nuts um so like i said obviously they 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 make good product obviously they have cool stuff but uh so to answer back to this question uh yes yeah, so he's saying that that channel found misaligned bridges yeah of course I, I, like i said i i I'm not shocked at all, uh, again, sadly enough. And so that's why you have to inspect as much of the Fender stuff as you can and look at your Fender stuff. And and maybe it'll get better. Maybe it was all just a pandemic in the situation, or maybe it was just a bad run, or maybe I'm not seeing everything the way it should be. But that is what I get from what I see. Is that, that it's, not, it's not the quality that I remember seeing. Um, and, uh, and, and it doesn't seem to get any better. So we'll see. Uh, Tister, thank you. I'm going to say Tister, T-S-T-R, Tister, 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 thank you for the super picture, super emoji. It's a super emoji. Uh, Dale says, hey, Phil, thoughts on choosing between a 2013 PRS S2 Mira or the new Paul's SE? The Mira is a couple hundred cheaper. Well, you know, hey, man, look, you got to understand. First, I'm just going to tell you, if you can buy a made in the USA guitar for less than an imported instrument as an investment, that's always the better way to go. And again, I'm always saying that, not as saying that's what you should weight this on and that's what the answer should be. But I just like feel like, you know, it's the thing about being a guitar channel like this. We want to talk about everything from the quality of things that are being made to the, you know, to the collectability, to the sound of it, you know. And so um, me, I liked, look, I've played the PRSS2 Miras. I love them. I've played Paul's SE guitar and reviewed that. I love them. Uh, what would I pick? I would pick the PRSS2 Mira. That's what I would pick. Um, the only reason to pick the SE guitar for me would be uh, Paul's SE. Is I really like the pickups in that guitar. They sound really good. And I, I mean, like I said, I really like the guitar. And I think it's prettier looking. I don't know which S2 Mira you're looking at, but I have a Mira. And that's one of the things that's not great. It's kind of boring. But other than the aesthetics, you know, again, and you're just saying because the mirror is a couple hundred cheaper, a couple hundred cheaper. Well, let me tell you this. This is, again, based on what you're saying and my my experience with the pricing that I see out there, the mirror might be just grab, fun to grab because I love, I call it parking money. I say it all the time. My wife totally uh, adopted this phrase with me. Um, 
parking money is exactly that. It's like I got $100 and I buy a pedal used that sells for $200 for $100. To me, yeah, I spent money, but I also I can get that money back. I can turn it back into money. So I'm parking it into the shape of a pedal for a while, and then I'll turn it back into money if I decide I don't want it. And that's the best way to kind of experiment with things sometimes. I like buying a guitar. I bought guitars that were just because they were super great deals not to flip them and make money, but because I'm like, you know, I've always been curious about that. And at that price, I could buy it if I play it for a year and I get rid of it. What do I care? So, you know, so I might, might, might want to try, uh, you know, an S2 USA uh, Mira and just give it a try. And if you don't like it, sell it and get your money back and do something else. It's a, it's not a huge investment at that point is what I'm saying, right? It's It's a lot harder when you think if you buy it and you don't like it, you can lose some money and that's just sucks. Cause you know, uh, let's see. Kevin says, I loved your Arise Verde SE more than your core. That's why I got rid of the core. You know, I, I love that core so much that video. <laughs> I said it in the video. I'm sure that the top on the SE was way better than the core. And, you know, Nathan made me the the custom 24 and I was like, do I really need two custom 24s? I was like, you know, and I go in. And of course, like I said, I, I'd play the green one. I'd strum it and go, I should really play the one that Nathan made me. I mean, it's beautiful. So I'd put it down and play the one. And then I kept thinking, I'm like, and the top's not as good as that SE. And just everything said, hey, and it was time for it to go. But yeah. So. All right, let's. uh Um, hold on a second. I'm just looking at some stuff. I know I have super chats. I'm just trying to get into the, the main chat to see if there's anything we can talk about. <laughs> I'm not old. I'm vintage says, but also Phil loves his mirror. I do love my mirror. I really like that guitar. It's I'm actually looking at it. It's over in the corner. Um, I don't play it that much anymore because I play the SG so much. Um, the mirror is like, it, to me, I, I bought the Mira because we had started stock, uh, stocking them in the store. And when they came out, that was like, you got to understand the Mira came out uh, for PRS. That was kind of like S2 before S2. It was the first time somebody could buy a USA made uh, set neck guitar affordably because they had the CEs before that. But I mean, you could, you know, and affordably, you understand, obtainable. I, I hate to use the word affordable, right? When you're talking about $1,200, $1,300 guitars, but you get the idea. When you're, it's all comparative. I, I try, sometimes people go affordable and they always react. And I'm like, look, man, when you're looking at $5,000 things, $500 things just seem a lot cheaper. I'm sorry, $500 is still a lot of money, but we're comparative things, right? So, um, and I really liked it. And the main reason I liked it was it was comfortable and it sounded good and it played great, but it was also because I thought SGs were ugly. And every time I would work on somebody's SG, I always loved it. I mean, I would almost look forward to someone bringing me an Epiphone or a Gibson SG to work on, or even the ES or the LTD Viper, which is like a, every time I'd work on one, I'd, I'd play it and go, man, why don't I just play this? So I had the mirror for years. And then, like I said, I bought an SG finally. And I don't know why, but slowly over time, the SG just overtook the mirror. So to the point where I would, let me put it this way. I like my mirror. I would never get rid of it or have no reason to get rid of it. But if push came to shove, like I had to pick one, I would pick my SG over my mirror, but I like them both. So, so, um, 
Yeah, Dougal Dog says, hey, try the SE Starla. I, I had a Starla, um, I had a Starla core for a short time. I really, really liked it. That's why I have the um, what do I have? The Vela. To me, the Vela is kind of like the Starla lineage, and so that's why I have a Vela. Uh, I really like it. So yeah, great guitars. I actually think all of my favorite, all my favorite PRSs are all the, the bastard children of PRS. It's like all the weird guitars that they don't seem to be the mainstreams, ones I seem to like. I like the Miras, I like the Starlas, I like the Vela, right? It's like, that's what I seem to be attracted to is the very basic guitars from PRS. So, uh, Uh, let's see. Okay. Hold on a second. All right. Richard's question says, I bought us, I bought Squires and make, uh, made Mexico fenders during the pandemic and they were all good. That's awesome here. Except for the Rosewood, uh, George Harrison tells it, telly. Yeah, that's great. Like I said, that's awesome. I mean, like I said, I'm not saying they didn't make any good stuff. I'm just saying there was a lot of it that was substandard. Um, and substandard in a way that it was, it kind of felt rushed. And then, then talking to tons of people at work at Fender, they all seem to say the same thing, that they're very rushed and it's all about getting stuff out the door. And I get that because everybody was clamoring for product and they have to make it. And they didn't tell the story. By the way, Fender is not individually differently. You know, I'm not saying they're, they did something that no one else did. They all rushed to get stuff out. But I think at the, I think as a whole, that's why I said, as, as much as I can find flaw, because I could tell you doing reviews for years before the pandemic and then doing use reviews for the, through the pandemic, it was really tough doing reviews through the pandemic because everything was showing up with issues. And so at some point it felt really disheartening. It was really, I'll just say the word, it was really depressing because I felt like, God, every video is going to be like, this sucks and this isn't right. And this isn't good. And I, I just didn't want to be that way. And I told you, I even said in a bunch of videos during the heart of the pandemic, when everything was really, really crazy, I even said in a bunch of videos that I'm kind of grading on a curve right now because it's just hard to hold everybody to account when there's so much going on in the world. But let's just say now that we're north of that problem, I'm still seeing the same issue. So it's not like every, a lot of other people's uh, problems have subsided, but Fender seems to be running the same issues. Okay. You guys, some of the weirdest stuff you guys talk about. Um, okay. All right. We, hold on. Uh, we have um, Blaine. Blaine says, hey, have you heard Seymour Duncan's Saturday night specials special? And do you think they would work well in a semi-hollow body? I have not tried that pickup. There's, you know, obviously I put my hands, ears and on so many pickups. That is not a pickup I'm familiar with. Um, I'm just curious looking. I want to see. Because sometimes, just because I haven't played it, doesn't mean I can't figure out what it is. Um, okay. Uh, Saturday special set. Elnenko 4, magnets, okay. Uh, 
think late 70s arena rock interesting i want to look at the i want to look at i just want to look at a uh bridge and okay 9.7k bridge pickup with an elnico 4 so obviously really interesting Okay, so what I'm getting from this is I'm just looking. It's going to be a very not low output pickup. Don't think of it like that. It's it's right. It's kind of going to give you just a little bit of bite. So it's a pickup that will give you clean, really crisp cleans, good cleans, but then it's going to give you a little bite. That's what I'm getting from, again, looking at the specs and some of the things they're saying from it. So would I like it in a semi-hollow or would it work in a semi-hollow? Well, I would say yes. I like semi-hollows. I think semi-hollows always sound best with some kind of lower output, mid-output pickup. Um, uh, you know, the aggressive pickups just get a little, a little unruly with that. Uh, yeah, I, based on what I see, I can't say I could recommend them because I've heard them, but based on what I read, uh, it sounds good. But I don't know what you like and what you're after, but I, I would give that a try. Me personally, reading all that stuff, that wouldn't be anything I, I'd uh, be concerned of. So, um, Teaster says, Hey, for travel to Japan. Okay. So this is what they're saying. It says, uh, get nephew hard travel case and a gift receipt. Tell them it's a gift only produce receipt if needed. Okay. And asked for obviously, right. I understand what they're saying. Like, Hey, it's, it's like the lawyers, right? Don't talk and <laughs> don't, don't talk unless you have to. So in other words, yeah, don't offer up anything. That's basically what I get for that. Don't offer them anything that I would ask for. Okay. Fair enough. That's nothing wrong with that. Uh, says, okay, so uh, uh, have a receipt, but give it only if they ask for it. Um, and should be fine. Use the case to check it and not a box. Very cool. So there you go. I appreciate that uh, for sharing that information and for super chatting to make sure I got, I saw that. Thank you. That was very kind of you. So, so hopefully that's helpful. And that sounds about right. Like I said, all my times through customs, I mean, they don't ask me for anything. They always just ask me if I bought anything. And I'm always like, no, no, <laughs> you know, other than, uh, you know, uh, actually, uh, uh, yeah, it's usually if I get anything from duty free, it's like, um, I think I was in, uh, I got Belgium chocolates once and they were like, I show, I had to declare the stuff I bought at duty free or whatever. But other than that, um, the Rockin' Donkey says, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? I'm going to read that whole through because, of course, that's like just an old, old commercial. Um, if I remember, the commercial was three. You asked. I'm answering. It's three. That was, I'm, I'm curious now. I'm going to Google tonight, sadly enough, uh, the commercial. But I'm pretty sure the owl did it in three licks. Uh, which is uh, great. Rick Lee says, have you ever reviewed Planet Tone pickups? Planet Tone pickups, I have not. Um, if you guys recall, we talked about um, doing a whole thing of pickups and I did a bunch. I have that ready to start up again. Um, I told you guys I have uh, P90s from Dylan's pickups. I have some Fishmans that I'm not allowed to just tell you guys what they are yet. <laughs> I have... Um, Yes, I'm like, I have a lot. And I'm like, I only think of two, but I, I do. I have a lot. So I have a lot of pickup videos coming again um, to do that as well. 
Oh, Space Llama pickups, if you guys like, uh, you know, small builder handmade kind of stuff, which is cool. Uh, and so um, some DiMarzio's coming, some other stuff. So I have some pickups. I want to kind of just kind of, you know, kind of sparse them out. I like doing, going over the pickups and stuff and doing those videos. Um, but those weren't pickups on my, on my radar by any, by any means. But maybe they would be. Like I said, when you guys tell me this stuff, I always go, okay, let me, let me put it. Jennifer says the super chat didn't work. Um, so, uh, what I can tell you is, is Jennifer, um, you can, what you can do is, uh, email me, uh, go to the ask www.asknowyourgear.com, hit the ask page and send me a, the question and I'll load it in for next week. And that's a good time to segue to the website. So, let me go. As I've told you guys before, we have www.knowyourgearpodcast.com now. And you can go there and ask questions. And some of the questions will be answered on the show. And some of the questions are filed so where they might be. But some of the questions have actually been tur- being turned into videos. So, so there you go. So let me go and I'll grab a couple uh, randomly, if you don't mind. And, uh, this one is from Simon. Uh, Simon says, my question is if you have a pedal with a built-in presets, helix, uh, type pedal, uh, and you, and you use the preset. Oh, this is a good question. So here's, what's great. I just want to share. I, I know I'm kind of putting it in suspense, but here's great. When you guys send questions, one of the things that we do now is we have these folders. So you're sending in the question to ask, know your gear, or you go to ask, know your, no, you're going to www.knowyourgearpodcast.com. When you send the question, we put them in folders. So amp questions, uh, guitar questions, bass questions, pickup questions. And then we have these like highlighted questions like this, where we're like, okay, this is something we definitely want to talk about. And this one was got flagged. So I want to talk about this. So Simon's question, which is interesting question says, Hey, if you have a, a camper or an axe effects or a helix or any of these modeling type processors, and you use their, their sounds to in a recording, right? That you release. In other words, to monetize, like you write a song with this stuff and you wrote, I write a song and you monetize it. Would you be liable to pay a royalty to the pedal manufacturer or to this person, this entity, these businesses, uh, that have created the, 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 the tech, right? And, uh, and then he says, how does it work as an intellectual property? Now, again, I'm not an attorney. I'm not going to give you any kind of like notions of, I'm not going to shade tree lawyer you, <laughs> right? <laughs> stuff, I think. But here's what I, uh, I'll tell you what I think I understand. And I'm pretty sure this is going to be pretty damn accurate, which is the way you would look at an Axe effects, a Kemper, a Helix, Arlatech is the same way you would look at Photoshop technology or any other type technology that allows you to create um, something, right? So just they're selling you, they're selling you, and I'm going to get to the whole preset thing in a second. They're selling you tech or they're selling you a tool that lets you create, right? This is no different than as silly as it sounds as if, uh, you know, the paintbrush company sold you paintbrushes and you painted a painting. They're, they're not. They Just because they helped create it doesn't mean 
they helped create it and they get a piece of it. Now, I to the core of your question, so that's the answer to the tech. So that's just easy there. That's easy. I don't even need to be an attorney for that. If you use that technology, just like if I use this bad cat amp and I use this album, uh, John, the owner of Bad Cat, can't ever come to me when I sell my six million records and go, hey, man, that's the black cat tone on that album. And therefore, you know, uh, you, you know, you owe me a piece. Now, to your specific question, which is really more interesting than just the general question of that, is you're using their preset. They actually created the sound and you didn't change or manipulate it. So it's a little different, a little stranger the way the way he he asked it, right? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I my, I don't have a great analogy for that. And that analogy, it almost like you're what you're saying is they sent me a paint by numbers, right? <laughs> right? Painting. I painted it and it's and obviously. You know, if I use it, is that is that okay? And the answer still is yes, believe it or not. Yes. Um, I would imagine, again, uh, we could always check. I can check with an attorney if you really care. I can check with an industry attorney who's in this industry. But I'm pretty sure I know what they're going to say. Um, when they make those presets uh, and they, se- they sell the product, again, these are sample presets. This would be considered something... I don't want to say like public domain, but it's, it's, it's obviously considered in a way that they know you're going to be using it. And so their ability to have, you know, to, to basically say they get something, some kind of you're using their, their sound, uh, wouldn't apply that it's, it's otherwise, I would imagine, uh, if it even mattered and it doesn't, there would have to be some kind of disclaimer saying, Hey, if you don't manipulate this preset, we own this sound. And then, then here's the other problem. And then that all being said, let's just talk about a whole other type of argument for this entire industry, which is sounds in general and owning sounds, right? Um, you know, the question becomes, this has been the bane of all amp and pedal makers forever, which is who owns a sound in the first place? Like, for instance, you can make an amp that sounds like a Marshall, but you can't say it sounds like a Marshall because the name Marshall is trademarked, but it can sound like a Marshall. The sound is not trademarked. So you can absolutely make a pedal. Uh, Lawrence Petros was here earlier, LPD pedals. So he can make a tube screamer sound. Okay. Uh, we're not even talking about copying the circuit, which is a t- different discussion. And really that's still fine too, believe it or not. But let's not even talk about that. If he makes a pedal that makes a sound that I, that actually sounds like another pedal, he's totally fine. (laughs) There's there. They don't own the sound of that sound. Um, and even if they did, Oh, the argument of that would be a nightmare. Can't get anybody to agree. We can't get anybody to agree. There's a thousand of you here. We can't even agree on sounds. Could you imagine a poor jury who's not (laughs) trying to figure out what stuff sounds like, but a great question an interesting discussion. I'd never heard it asked that way. Um, which is, yeah, if you use a pre- preset off like a line six, if you use the preset off a of line six and you make a, a hit song with it, do, 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 do they have a do they have a way to come at you and say, hey, they made the sound? And the answer is no. By the way, think about this. Think about how keyboard players, I don't even know how that would work, right? If you use a Casio keyboard for their sounds and made an album and they came out of nowhere going, hey, that's our quote unquote piano sound. So interesting, great question, but no. And again, for the legal disclaimer, I'm not an attorney, so, <laughs> but uh, I never heard of such thing. And I'm friends with enough of those companies that make that stuff and talk to them in so many ways. I would imagine, I would imagine if it was going to happen, it would have been happened by now.
Okay, so... Yeah, so Tony G says, in the back of your boss loopers that have drums uh, in the fine print, it says that you're allowed to use the effects for personal use. Oh, so interesting. So in that statement, in that disclaimer, the way I would interpret that, not as an attorney, but as a layman, is that if you did record that their their drum track and, and tried to record a song with it, that essentially they were not giving you permission that. Their personal use means exactly that, not for... They're not allowing you to publish it or, or monetize it. So that'll be interesting. But again, like I said, I would, I, I, like I said, it's an interesting thing in, in my, in my, <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it, but in my, my, my brain says, I don't know, you can just take a preset preset and just manipulate it a little bit, right? What's the point of giving the technology if you use it? So, yeah, yeah. Matt says Yamaha would own the eighties with all the DX seven sounds. And every hit song. Exactly. So, and then I'm not old, I'm a vintage says Gibson lawyers are willing to take the case. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I'm like, I get it. And it's, it's, it's warranted. Right. Uh, so, uh, Boswell says you can absolutely patent a circuit of an amp if it's new and not obvious but only protects against people copying the circuit, not the tone. Right. So again, I, I have never seen anything and I've been around where anybody has able to ever substantiate a argument of a tone of a sound and say that this is the sound. Now, again, we're not talking about like the, you know, like the Google sound or the iPhone, you know, when it boots up. Right. I'm not talking about that. That's correct. Cause essentially we're not talking about music and stuff like that. We're talking about, like I said, to me, simple as something as the crunchy distortion, right? Like, you know, like, oh, that distortion, that's totally our sound, right? I mean, it's a, that's a hard, hard thing. So, but, um, but I like the question. I'm glad you asked it. And if I ever find out more and I can and go more in depth on that, that'd be great. So thank you, Simon. Let's do one more from that from that uh, batch of questions from the, these are from the email questions. So like I said, guys, make sure you email questions, please understand though. But just like on the live show, emailing a question doesn't guarantee that I'll ever be able to read it. But I promise you, if we find it and it's cool, we'll, we'll do our best to put it out there. It's, we want to share the love. Um, this one, uh, this one is from Ben. Ben says, Hey, loves the show. Uh, I appreciate you guys saying that. You don't have to say you like the show. I'll answer the question. <laughs> this is, uh, what happened to the bad cat? Amp the Paw uh, announced at NAM 2020. That's a great question. And he says it looked promising and the ultimate bedroom practice amp. I agree. Ultimate for sure is the word I would use. Can't find it on their website. I can't find much info on it online. So let me let me tell you an, enough. As you guys know, look, there's no, there's no uh there's no sugar and code in this. I'm friends with John. He owns Bad Cat. I I met him. He so, you know, I just want to be clear. John is a fan of the show, of the podcast. He literally reached out to me one day because he heard I collect boss pedals and he sent me a couple of boss pedals as a gift. And we talked and he never asked me once. I'm just telling this because I just want you to understand. He never asked me once to review his amps or do anything. Of course, obviously, when the owner of an amp company 
talks to you. You're like, hey, maybe we should try and get an amp on the show. And I said, can I, can I borrow one? And he was super gracious and nice. And he's been uh, a close friend ever since. Like I said, uh, it's good, good guy. Um, I drove down and I, I, I got the bad kid amp personally because I want to see his new shop. He's got a new shop that I want to check out. So every reason I tell you that is because I have some privy information that I'm privileged to, and I'm going to share as much as I feel ethically, I, I feel okay sharing with you. Okay. Whoops. Bump on my mic. So you guys don't know what, what, what that question is about is that sh- short time after the, the spark came out, uh, bad cat announced making an amp that looks about the same size, it's got two little speakers in it and it had real tubes in it for the tone, but a class D power amp, kind of like how the spark is. And it had not modeling ability. So it was a modeling amp. It just had, you know, the ability to get good cleans, good, good distortions. And then it had, uh, impulse responses so you can record. And it was essentially kind of, and it was going for like the seven ninety nine price point. So definitely not, uh, inexpensive uh, at all. It's a definitely expensive product, but it was kind of going for the connoisseur that the person who likes the desktop amp, like a Yamaha TH, uh, 30 or 10 and a spark, but wants to go like, I want a little bit more than that. Right. I want a little bit more than the digital stuff. I want something more analog. And, um, so John, and those guys developed that amp. Now, when they developed that amp, they released some of them and they received some uh, issues with them. In other words, some people obviously liked them, but they were like, hey, I'm having a couple of issues and they went through it. Now, what's great about this in this story is, is that since that happened, since the release, um, John hired um, uh, Peter Ahrens. If you guys know Peter Ahrens from Ampete, uh, he's also the guy who was behind the redesigns of some of the new Saldano stuff. And he did a bunch of stuff with Synergy and he did all this stuff. So he's people in this industry definitely respect, respect Peter in a lot of ways as he's a, not only a, a genius uh, engineer, he's a great amp designer, pedal designer, you name it. And uh, so he's part of the team that, um, and I'm saying that politely because again, he's a genius, but I mean, it's a whole team at Bad Cat. He's part of the redesign of Bad Cat. So if you notice all the Bad Cat stuff pretty much went away and they came out with the new amps and everybody's raving about the new amps because look, these, these, these are the guys, right? Bad Cat had the right resources. John's a really, really good, smart, uh, amp designer, but he's hired a genius, right? So you got a guy who knows how to make a great amp and a genius who has a design stuff. And they're together and they redesigned the, the bad cat. That being said, uh, Peter looked at the paw and told John, we should wait. So they pulled it offline. That's why it's gone and come back when it's like, it's going to blow everybody's mind. So that being said, I don't know when they're going to do that. <laughs> I don't know when it comes out. I don't know anything. I have not asked him. So therefore, um, okay. I probably said too much because again i don't i don't i didn't ask him if i could discuss this stuff with you but so you know um it's it's uh the uh, the amp uh is it's really about for them it's about their dedication to the customer they want the customer experience well i told you guys i love a lot of gear i know a lot of people in the industry and some people in the industry are just fantastic people and some are smart people and john is one of those smart fantastic people where he not only knows how to make a great amp but he also gives a crap about people and that's what it is they just don't want the out until it's perfect and even though you know look they could they could have just shipped out more and called it a day right but it's like it's not perfect so when it's perfect it will come out so that's why um ben your question is what happened with it was kind of they announced it at the damn that's what happens you know um they they decided that um they decided instead of 
changing the design and fixing some of the issues that people had, they decided to actually start the whole entire brand over again. Uh, in other words, new lineup of amps and, and really kill it out there. And so they want every product to be amazing. I'm putting words in their mouth. They don't really say it like that, but that's what they, I get from it when I'm hearing them talk is they want everybody to literally, you know, when you say bad cat, you say, this is the best. So I think that's what it is. So, but yes, I'm really, I'm really excited for the pod to come out. Cause I really like the idea of a desktop desktop amp, like a, a spark or a Yamaha that, you know, like I said, it's a little bit more tricked out, right? Made in the USA, a little cool. So well, it says nothing is perfect. I know, but you have to shoot for it, buddy. That's the problem, <laughs> right? You're, you're like, that's why you're always, always self-conscious about it. You shoot for perfect, right? Because there's the only thing you can shoot for. But yes, I agree with you. Nothing is perfect, but you still have to shoot for it. So I think we're in agreement on both those statements. Um, okay. All right, we have, we're wrapping up the show. Let's, uh, I think a super chat or two came in. No super chats, guys. Let me, let me just knock out what I see here. Um, so we can talk about that. Um, Meester, Mister, I don't know. I, I, ever since Meester sent me messages, I see Meester everywhere. Mr. S says Evertune question mark. So I'm sure that's in reference to the fact that we talked about having an Evertune guitar on the channel and, um, you know, I even talked to the Evertune guys. So, you know, the Evertune guys were one of the companies. Look, I'm just going to tell you right now because I want to say it. I want to say it. It's the end of the show. Usually only the diehards hang out to this part. I was blown away with how many people in this industry physically reached out to me to say congratulations on Badlands. I, and heartfully so. The guys at Kiesel reached out. I was in shock. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's not my... It's not my it's not, it's not my personality to, to, to kind of BS anyone, but I got to tell you, so that's why I got to tell you this harsh truth, which is every single company reached out. I thought, Oh no, <laughs> they were like, they're like, Hey, we want to talk to you. I'm like, Oh great. What did I do? What did we do? What did we do? And, and every time it was like, Hey man, that was awesome. What you guys did. That sounds great. Or, Hey, we're happy for you. Or, Hey, you know, and, uh, so, uh, Evertune was another company. Uh, the guys at Evertune reached out, same thing. Um, uh, you know, Eastwood guitars reached out, uh, Morley pedals reached out. It was just really cool, man. A lot of companies just reached out and said, Hey, we saw what you, you know, you guys released a brand and Hey, we saw it sold out and Hey, congratulations on that. And, and some of them were like, Hey, if you ever need help with anything, let us know. And I was like, this is, this is great. So Evertune definitely reached out. Um, and, um, I've been working on an Evertune video. So again, the Evertune video is kind of like the Strandberg stuff that I've done and a couple of the things that I've done where I'm not versed, it's not something, it's not easy for me. It's not something I, I play all the time, so I'm versed in it and I'll just do a video about it. I really have to spend time with everything, right? Like you guys saw, if you guys saw my Kiesel bass video this week, you know, obviously I got it in October. <laughs> I re released the video now. It's because I don't want to release the videos. It's It's a me thing, not anybody else. I don't like releasing videos and then when I bump into somebody usually one of you guys. And then you guys say, um, you ask me like, Oh, I remember your video on the ball thing. You know, like, like, you know, I remember your video on the N4. You really liked it. And then I go, I did. I mean, since then I've learned a couple things, you know, I, I really hate that. I like to be able to like, I like when I look in an old video I did and go, yeah, I still, I'm still there. That's still where I'm there. That's what I still think. Um, 
so I try to stay away from doing the honeymoon videos where I just got it and I love it. And I try to stay away from the videos where I, I think I know it and I'm putting out enough information. I really want to know it uh, in the idea that not so much the tech information, but in the like, yeah, this is, and the Evertune is, this is the hard part for me. At the end of that video, it doesn't make sense if I can't tell you guys I would actually buy it or not buy it. And I don't want to say I won't buy one. If it's for sure, I won't buy it. So, so I'm getting there. Like I said, um, there's a lot of things about the Evertune I do not like, and there's some things I really like, and that's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out exactly where I'm at with that. So, especially since it's different, it's a different product. So, uh, David, uh, did, just wanted me to have some KYG rent money. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I <laughs> rent's crazy now. You say rent money. I can't even, the rent money's crazy. Uh, Ray says, Hey, is it a good idea to rent gear instead of buying it and taking a loss selling later? So I don't know. I don't know a lot of places that rent gear. So first let's be aware of that. I, I remember there's a company called Pedal Genie that used to rent pedals and they may still do so. Um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's in this ad. They could be out of business or defunct or they could be killing it. And I'm just not, they're not on my radar right now. So there's Pedal Genie. Genie. Or we could just Google. How about that? <laughs> let's just Google it. And let's see if a legitimate website comes up. And it does. So here you go. Web. Here's Pedal Genie's free commercial. Uh, it says, choose your pedals. We deliver to the door. Rock out on your rig and buy or return. So um, Pedal Genie. And again, I know that was echoey and horrible or whatever, but uh, you know, uh, you get the idea. Whoops. Okay, you get the idea. So, um, so it says uh, they have two thousand pedals, and you can rent that. Uh, reason why I want to show that is because that's one of the few places I know. Some guitar stores throughout the country rent gear as well, not just band orchestra and rent stuff. But so there, some of you going, why would you rent? How do you do that? That's there are places that obviously do that renting. Uh, renting, sure. It, look, to me, taking the time to rent something and to see if you like it, it could pay a dividend. What I would tell you, Ray, my preference would to buy right. In other words, uh, is the saying, uh, which is find something that you're buying at a great deal and you're not going to really uh, have a problem with that. So uh, a perfect, you know, perfect example is, um, you know, like I said, what I said earlier, you know, those pedals normally sell for 200 bucks. Maybe they sell used for 150 and there's somebody selling for 100 bucks and you're curious, you can always buy that not only to make, you can make 50 bucks or whatever you make if you sell it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that you can actually get out of it. And that's my idea. Um, but yes, I, I think one of the things that I constantly kind of hit home on this, this, this uh, show or this podcast is I try to stay away from the play, the players that are always like, I keep everything. I don't flip anything. Why are you guys always concerned about resale value? Look, I love, I tell you guys all the time. You, if you're that, if I just said, if you sound like who I sound like good for you, <laughs> most of us. And I really do mean most of us. I can't say the 90%, but I could say 60 to 70% of musicians of guitar players are on a journey. And they think they look, you're when you buy a guitar, when you buy an amp, it's mostly a calculation at best. Even when guitar players like, I don't play, a, I don't buy a guitar unless I play it. Look, I've played guitars for two weeks 
and then decided they don't like it. I've had a guitar for, I, I've had a, I had an amp for five years and then one day woke up and I thought, it's like, I don't know how to explain that to, to sane people. Like you have to explain it to your wife. It's like, it's like every morning she makes you eggs. And then after five years, one day you go, I hate eggs. I don't know why, but I don't want those ever again. I'm onto waffles now. I'm a waffle person. Right? So, I mean, things change. Your ears change. Your attitudes change. Uh, you know, all things change and, or you, like I said, I like the word connoisseur. You become a connoisseur, right? You, you know, um, we talked about Amplified Nation today. That's a perfect amp to talk about. That's an amp that if I was to, to present it to someone who'd been playing guitar for maybe a year and maybe playing through a katana, which is a great amp, by the way. Um, they actually, I, I would bet if I was going to bet that that person, that person, when I played them, this, there is the katana, they wouldn't go, oh my goodness, that's the greatest thing I ever heard. What have I been missing? They might go, I don't hear why it's different. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, you know, uh, so, um, so your question is one of my favorite questions, by the way, which is the reality of this, that there is a flipping process. There is a resale process. There is, we get tired of it. There is, we just, some of us just need the fix, man. There's like a heroin fix. I, you know, finding a new guitar, buying something new. Uh, there's a little bit of that shopper, right? What do you call that? Shopping therapy, right? <laughs> retail therapy. That's a thing. I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I try to be more prudent about it, but I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of all these things, right? You know, sometimes I buy gear just because I had a hard week and I worked hard and I said, Hey, damn it. I deserve something because I deserve something. I don't know what it is, but I deserve something for this, uh, week. <laughs> but, um, uh, but to answer your question, yeah, if renting is something, especially if you're not comfortable, some players are just not comfortable with the whole buying and flipping a piece of gear, you know, it's a, it's a headache, you know, you've got to negotiate, uh, you got to do all kinds of stuff. So that to me though, in my experience is buying right. In other words, buying a, a piece of gear at a great price, experimenting with it and then moving on is a good idea. Um, if you can't do that, renting would be your next way up because again, buying the stuff, I mean, this stuff's expensive. And especially if you're losing a lot of money per transaction. Um, the only thing I always, always remind everyone is other than when dealing with a return policy period. In other words, you know, you have to return it if you want to get your money back. If you don't like it, I understand that, you know, like, Hey, I, I don't like this. It's, it's 28 days and I only got two days to return it. I'm going to return it. I understand that. Other than that scenario, what I would, sorry, what I would recommend for most players is play and keep things for as long as you can. That is the goal every time. Keep things as long as you physically can. Because I'm telling you, the worst mistake that I make, that all of you make, we're going to end this on this, uh, this, the worst mistake we make is the repurchase. It is the worst. There is nothing worse than that. Buying, buying a piece of gear. I've seen all the ways you can do lose money. <laughs> okay. Uh, obviously modding stuff is a little financial hit, but Hey, there's an education to gain from that right? You mod something, you fix something and sure, you, will you get that money back? Not necessarily, but that education is education, right? However, the worst way I've seen it that we lose money is the buy, buy again or the buyback. So if you get something and you get rid of it, you're going to lose some money. If you get rid of something and you buy that thing again, you will always lose a lot of money. It is the worst feeling. Um, it's the worst. It's the worst feeling when you're like, 
I bought it for 300 I sold it for two, and now there's six. <laughs> and the worst, worst, worst feeling is you bought it for two or 300 you sold it for 200 It's now six, so you bought it for six, and then you sold it for four, and now it's eight, and you're buying it again. That is the worst thing you can do to yourself. So if that is what you think you're presented with, yeah, rent. <laughs> Like I said, uh, <laughs> just laughing because I'm thinking all the crap times I did that. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's uh, it's good. Uh, all right. Okay, guys, I appreciate the, you guys hang with me today. Hopefully you guys like the new audio. I will fix the audio for the other transitioning screens. That's what happens when I program this, but I only did it from my main screen this. And I didn't think about when I'm jumping into other screens that I was going to be on the old mic and the old system because it's all hooked up right now because just in case i need to switch back i had it ready to switch back for you guys so on that hopefully some of you guys complain the show is always a little too quiet so it's actually a lot louder now um some of you guys may not like that (laughs) all right uh as always guys thank you so much uh for hanging out we'll see you guys next friday don't forget i have videos in between the shows so check those out if you're so inclined and uh and uh, I know we have snarks and stuff to give away. Um, so, you know, we had three people win last week. I only heard from one person. As far as I know, I will double check. My wife got that shipped out. The person who's the title uh, that made the, the the title of last week's show, I reached out and sent you an email. So if you got an email from me, <laughs> just check that, you know, if you want to check it, um, like I said. And like I said, if we don't get those three out, we'll, you know, obviously they're here. So we'll just give them away again. We're going to do some more, like I said, but remember, we had a family crisis the week before, so I'm trying to get my let my wife have this week to kind of readjust back to, to work and stuff. And then next week, we'll start giveaways and stuff again. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I will see you next Friday. And you guys know your gear.